closer to Christ. We believe that following Jesus is a journey, and we want to help you through that journey any way we can. We pray that you grow in your walk with God through this message today. So prepare your heart and mind for this teaching by our lead pastor, Mike Wares. Amen. All right. Glad you guys are here this morning. And I got to tell you, uh, Tim and Michelle and I are leaving for Nepal this evening. We're going to get on a plane at 1030 and 24 hours later we'll wake up in Nepal. Ouch. Okay. And then we're going to get on little airplanes and uh, a helicopter at some point. And, uh, and I just tell you what I need. I think they probably need it too. So we need your prayers because uh, we're going to train pastors uh, in a language that uh, we don't speak. And we're trusting that the Holy Spirit can work all that out, and we are trusting Him in that. So we're headed there, and uh, I'm going to ask you all to do this, is to pray for us, because uh, it's a crazy journey to the actual other side of the world. And, uh, and, And we need it for safety, and we need it that our time there will be fruitful. So will you all do that for us? All right, great. Hey, as we begin today, I want to take just a minute and, and pray for our, our, our folks that live down on the panhandle uh, along the coast and uh, just ask God to help them. Father, we, we saw the pictures this week, and, and, and uh, Father, we're overwhelmed by what we saw, but we know that those that are right there are overwhelmed. And Father, today as we sang about the disasters that can come, uh, Father, we were reminded that you are bigger than those disasters. And Father, you've chosen the church to be your instrument here. And Father, I pray that the churches in this area, the churches down in Florida, will rise up and show Jesus Christ to those people like they've never seen it before. And those folks that are overwhelmed by the loss of property, by the loss of jobs, uh, by the loss of life, Father, that they would begin to glit a glimmer of hope, and it is a hope that would last forever because the church is there. And so, Father, we're asking right now for you to do that and, and, to, and to work through us and through every church, and it all is for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we've been studying the book of Ecclesiastes. You remember Solomon. Solomon is the wisest man that ever was and the wisest man that will ever be, okay? So yeah, it tells us that in 1 Kings, the third chapter, God gave him wisdom. So, so this is what I, I begin to question that, though. This is the wisest man in the world, and he had 700 wives, now, I just got to thinking about that for just a minute. Okay, I know as a pastor of this church that there is absolutely no way that he can know every name of every wife. And when you forget the name of a wife, can I tell you what? That's not wise, okay? I just got to thinking about that. And you know, every wife wants to have kids. And I figured it out, okay? If on an average, every one of those wives had two kids, that's 1,400 knee-biters, Okay. I don't know any other way to say this, but that's a lot of dirty diapers. That palace had to stink, okay? How wise is that, Solomon? Think about the family vacation, okay? 13 56-passenger buses just to take the wives. Oh, can I tell you, that would be a trip, okay? And then on top of that, if you take the kids, that, that, those other 1,400 people, and you put them on a bus, you're going to need a total of 39 buses. 
And if they're going to Disney World, that's going to cost over $300,000 just to get in, okay? And on top of that, if they were to eat one meal there, you'd add another million to that, okay? It is absolutely crazy. And they say he's the wisest man ever. Wow. God did give him wisdom. And on top of that wisdom, what Solomon decided to do was this. He decided to try everything that God said. He wanted to see if it was true, and he lived life to the fullest, and he discovered so much about life. And he recorded much of that in this book of Ecclesiastes. It's a journal, uh, and what happens is he takes the wisdom that God has given him and the life experience that he has had, and he tells us some things about life. He says, you can do it wrong, and it can be meaningless. He said there, there's the right way to do things. There's a right way to approach God. And, 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 and when you approach God, then you know what? Things begin to work out well. Well, you get down to Ecclesiastes, the 12th chapter, and verse 13. And, and this is what you're going to hear there, is you're going to hear the sermon in a sentence. It's part of that, that verse. And this is the sermon in a sentence. It is, it is to fear God and keep his commandments. What it actually says there is this. At the conclusion of the matter, is what, what Solomon says, the conclusion of the matter is this. Is that if you want to have a good life, you fear God and you obey his commands. And so in the last chapter of Ecclesiastes, we're going to look at three conclusions that will give us a life that has meaning and, and that will give us a life that, that does fear God and does obey His commandments. So that's what we're going to look at today. The first thing that you'll see in, in, in there is that we are to remember our Creator. Remember our Creator. What it actually says in Ecclesiastes 12.1 is this. He says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Can I tell you what? God as creator, God as creator is foundational to our faith. God as creator is foundational to our faith. Because you see, if God is creator, this is, this is what you need to understand. If God is creator, he has authority over us. He knows what is best for us. Why? Because he created us. I have a Toyota and I have a Honda. Let's just say for a minute, I get the, the owner's manuals mixed up. Okay, I, I, I don't understand who created the car. And in the Toyota is the Honda. And in the Honda is the Toyota owner's manual. Twice a year, I'm in trouble, okay? When I have to figure out how to set the clock, when I have to figure out because of daylight saving times to add an hour or subtract an hour, if I have the wrong owner's manual, it isn't going to work. That's the problem in our world today. We've taken God away as creator. He's the one that created us. He's the one that knows what is best for us. And when we take him away as creator, can I tell you what? The foundation is crumbling. You're going to see a picture of a house up here. Uh, This is a house where the foundation has crumbled. And God as creator is foundational to our faith. Because when he is creator, what we know is that he is the one that, 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 that created us and knows what is best. And when that, when that foundation begins to crumble, everything else falls down. What Satan has done is he's introduced a theory, and it is a theory, it's not a proven fact, it's called evolution, and what does it do? It blasts at the foundation of our faith and removes God as creator, and so what does that do? It reduces us to nothing more than just another animal. I tell you, God as creator is foundational. 
Because when he is creator, what we do is we listen and we give him a place of authority. But it also says there, he says, to remember your creator in the days of your youth. Why remember the creator in the days of our youth? I, I want you to understand this. Why do we remember our creator in the days of our youth? You may not know this. 43% of all people that come to Jesus Christ do so before the age of 13. That's almost half of the people. 21% of the people that come to Jesus Christ do so by the age of 18. And then on top of that, 13% of the people that come to Jesus Christ do so by the age of 21. So by the time you're 21, that the, 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 the chances of you becoming a Christ follower aren't very good. 75% of the people... 75% of the people that come to Jesus Christ do so before the age of 21. That's why we invest a lot of time and money in the next generation ministry that we have here. I, I, I will have somebody ask me this occasionally. It's usually an old person. I can say that because I'm an old person. And they'll come up to me and say, Mike, why are we spending so much money on the kids? Don't you realize that us old people are paying for things? What they're saying is they want more stuff for them. And this is what I usually say to them. And I try to be nice. I usually say, do you realize that 77% that, that of the people that are going to come to Jesus Christ do so by the age of 21? Aren't you excited that your kids and your grandchildren will be in heaven because we've been investing in them? And, and, and at that point, then I just let it go. I don't do what I want to do. This is important. This is important. I don't know if any of you, all, rest of you all are this way, but I, I think it will kind of help you understand this. In the mornings when I get up, sometimes I don't get up very well. Sometimes it's kind of creaking around. The knees don't work well. I, I need to get to a hot shower to get things moving and get things running. Okay, now, now let me tell you what. The problem what, what, that, that is there with the days of the youth. I, I played football, and in one year, I broke my nose, cracked a rib, tore cartilage in my knee, and dislocated a thumb. I love water sports, okay? I love to surf. I love to water ski. I love to jump off of tall places into water. Can I tell you what I've learned there? Water is hard, and it can damage your body. I love to canoe. I love to go down rivers that aren't designed to go down in a canoe. I love to jump off perfectly good mountains. And can I tell you what I've learned in my old age? It, every injury that I had when I was young is coming back to haunt me. I got an amen from the creaky bones in the back, okay? <laughs> That's exactly what Solomon is saying. He's saying, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Why? Because it'll save you a lot of pain later on. It'll save you a lot of pain. If you'll keep God in his rightful place on the throne of your life as the creator, it will save you a lot of pain. Remember your creator is the number one thing that the Solomon would tell us. Number two is he would say this, seek the truth. Seek the truth. Now, now this is what you're going to hear. If you're on a university campus, you're going to hear this. No need to look for truth because there is none. And, and I will tell you that, that that is absolutely wrong. My Bible says this. God's word makes it clear. There is truth and his name is Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. Okay, so, so we understand that. But they're telling me there is no truth. Now, this is what I, I want you to understand. The, 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 this is what they want to do. They'll say, well, there is no truth. And I said, well, can I just maybe challenge you a little bit there? 
and they'll say, well, would you agree that it is the truth that fire is hot? They will say, not necessarily. Okay? And then I will, I will say, now, so you're saying it's not always hot. They say, well, no, not necessarily. There's nothing that's true. And I said, okay, then if I started a fire, you wouldn't have any problem with putting your hand down on that fire for a minute. He says, oh, no, that would hurt. Hmm. You see, they want to live as if there is truth, but claim that there is no truth so they can live like they want to. And can I tell you, that's what Solomon discovered. He discovered that you do have to seek the truth. Let's read what he says in, in, in Ecclesiastes. It says this, Not only was the teacher wise, he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. That's the truth there. He says, the words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Okay, given by God. There is one source of truth, and that is God himself. That is Jesus Christ. And so you have to understand that. So we have to seek the truth. And then he gives us two great word pictures about truth. First of all, he says, truth is like a goad. He says, the words of the wise are like a goad. Okay, now let me, let me show you. I, I brought a goad up here. It's really just a stick. There are fancier ones that have points on the end and little hooks. But all a goat is, is a way to direct an animal. You could gently tap him on the side and, and move him the right way. You could poke them. Or if you're like me, you probably have to have it whacked on you a couple of times so that you get it. But that's all that he's saying is truth is a goat. It is what keeps you in the right place. It's what gets you moving in the right direction. Now, there's two ways that you can react to a goat. One is a painful way. That, that means they're having to whack you, they're having to poke you if you don't listen. And isn't that the way sometimes we react to truth? We'll say, well, there is no truth, but then when we encounter the truth and it beats us up, we're upset about it. Okay? So truth is a goad. And, 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 it, and sometimes it will prod us a little bit, sometimes it will direct us, and sometimes it will just flat out hit us upside the head. Okay? And, and that's the way it works. But, but this is what... This is what you have to understand is that truth is there to direct us and we will determine whether or not it's painful and whether or not it's hurtful. If we will listen and obey, if we will fear God and obey, it won't be nearly as bad. Paul, Paul was a, 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 a man who went about and what he did was kill Christians. He persecuted Christians and, and he's on the road to Damascus. And as he's on the road to Damascus, he's going to persecute more Christians. And God appears to him in the form of Jesus and, and, and basically knocks him down with a bright light. And I want you to hear what Paul has to say there. And, and it is this. We all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. Do you catch that? He was kicking against the truth, and he had to be knocked down. I don't want that to happen to me. And so I'm just telling you, sometimes truth is going to goad us and direct us. Sometimes it will be hard. Sometimes it will be hurtful. But the easiest way to keep that from happening is this, is to fear God and obey his commandments. And when you fear God and obey his commandments, you'll find out about the second picture of truth that, that Solomon writes. He says, truth is like a nail. Truth is a nail. He says, a well-embedded nail. I have a few of those around my house. 
On some of those nails at my house that are well embedded, can I tell you what? There are pictures that are hanging, things of beauty. There are belts that hang on them. There are tools in my shop that hang on them. There, there are all sorts of things that you can hang on a well embedded nail. And here's the idea. If you are following truth, if you are listening to truth, it is a place where you can hang your life and you don't have to worry about it falling. You can put it there and it is safe. You can put it there and it, and it, and it is good. You see, when we follow truth and when we do truth, it, it is like that embedded nail where we can rest our lives. In fact, Jesus in John 8, this is what he says. He says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Truth will give you freedom. It, it will give you the rest that you need. So I'm more interested in having truth as a well-embedded nail where I can hang my life than truth as a goad. But I will take either one because they are pointing me in the right direction that I can honor God and have my life mean something. The third thing that Solomon says to us, and, and, and I say the, the worst for last, okay? He says to be prepared. Be prepared. The last verse, and this is what he says. He says, you're going to face judgment. He says, you need to be prepared. Boy Scout motto. I, I remember that. That was etched into my mind and heart over, over many years in the Boy Scouts to be prepared. I, I was told that in college, be prepared for the test. It's coming. And, and I'm going to tell you, we need to be prepared for the judgments coming. Listen to what, listen to what uh, Solomon says. And he says this. He says, for God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing. Does that worry anybody in here, every hidden thing? Can I tell you, I, I want you to hear this, that can also be some good things. You know, God says when you give, you, you don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. So that, that's a good thing, isn't it, that is hidden? And sometimes we do good things for people and we don't tell anybody else. Sometimes that's hidden. So don't think of it just as negative, okay? Think of it also as positive. But he says, for God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Wow. That, that's a little nerve-wracking, isn't it? This is what I want you to understand. I want you to see this, this, this statement that's coming up on the screen. Our deeds are not the basis of our salvation. They are the evidence of our salvation. Okay, I'm going to read that for you again. Our deeds are not the basis of our salvation. They are the evidence of our salvation. Can you read that with me? Our deeds are not the basis of our salvation. They are the evidence of our salvation. This is what you got to understand. Saved people act differently, okay? I want you to understand that saved people act differently. If you had a debt and it gets paid off, what do you do? You celebrate. If you were once dead and now you're alive, what do you do? You stand up and shout. If the creator of this world invests in you, what do you do? You honor him with your life. you got to understand that, that, that you and I have the victory through Jesus Christ. And so when we accept him and we have the victory, we begin to act like victors. We begin to act like overcomers. And God works in us. And I can tell you what... Saved people act differently. It becomes the evidence of the faith that we have in our lives. I want to tell you about judgment, though. And this is uh, uh, from 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive 
what is due us for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. I remind you that our deeds are not, are, are not what saves us, but they are the evidence. But I want you to learn three things about judgment. You need to understand these. Number one, all must appear before the judgment seat. Every single one of us. You're not going to get out of it. The final exam is coming. Understand that. Number two is that you are going to be judged by Jesus Christ. You may be thinking, wow, he knows everything. But let me tell you, this is really good news. Because Jesus walked on the face of this earth. And in Hebrews 4, it says that he was tempted in every way, just as you and I were. And that he actually empathizes with us. And he is going to be judging us. And he understands the pain. He understands the temptation. So that's the second thing you need to understand about judgment. And then the third thing is you're going to be judged by the things done while in this body. Whether good or bad. Whether good or bad. Now I want you to see what it says in John the 5th chapter. John 5. It says, don't be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will come to rise to be, to, 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 to be condemned. I want to remind you that our deeds do not save us. They are just the evidence. But I, I want you to hear this, and, and, and you're going to see this come up on the screen. Our works... Our works are the evidence of the reality of our faith. It is through our faith that Jesus saves us. Our works, okay? That's the evidence of faith. And our faith is what saves us. It's not our works, but, but our faith. James tells us this. He says, faith without works is dead. What he's saying there is if you say you have faith, but you don't have any deeds that follow, can I tell you what he's saying? He's saying that's not faith at all. That's just talk. Okay, And we have to understand that, that, that we have to have some evidence, and that's what God is looking at. I want, to see, I want you to see two more verses, one from Matthew 16, and this is what it says. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward. I like that, okay? I like that. Then he will reward each person according to what they have done. And then in Revelation 12, and, and, and it says this, Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. On the judgment day, God is going to look at, Jesus is going to look at the evidence in your life of faith. And then when he sees that, what he's going to do is he's going to look at the reward that he has for you. I think there are two sides to this. And the judgment comes, the evidence of your life will show that you had faith, and then the evidence that is there will determine your reward. I tell you what, I'm looking forward to it, okay? The reason I can say I'm looking forward to it is because I've been washed in the blood and I know that I'm saved and, and, and I believe my life has been changed and I believe that God will reward me. But I can tell you this, I understand this completely. I understand this completely is that I'm saved and I'm safe and I'm trusting my Savior. Let's go back to this uh, one verse in Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13. Now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. We fear God, how? By making him creator. We put him on the throne and we listen to him. We seek truth. And when it goads us, what do we do? 
we respond and get on the right path. And when we get on the right path, what happens when we're seeking truth? It becomes a place where we can rest. And you know what? If we've done those first two, when you get to the last one, we will be prepared for the day of judgment. We can look forward to it. So this is the end of the matter. Solomon says, if you can get this down, you've got it. And he says this, fear God and obey his commandments from the wisest man that ever lived and ever will live. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the, the, the wisdom of Solomon. And uh, I ask today that we will listen to it, that we will hear his wisdom and allow it to talk to us. Father, if we, if we have not placed you as our creator and we are not listening to you as creator, Father, help us to turn back to you. Father, help us that we would seek truth. And Father, if it goads us, help us to, help us to, to, to respond in a positive way. And Father, help us to rest there. And Father, as every single one of us looks forward to the day of judgment, pray that we will be prepared. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are a couple of questions here. Number one, have you made Jesus Christ your creator, your Lord? Are you paying attention to him like he is the, has written the owner's manual because he has? And uh, are you responding to the truth? Is the goad hitting you? Some of you may be hitting you harder. I tell you what, I'd love to pray with you about that because I don't want you to go through the pain. And every single one of it, I ask you this, is are you prepared? The only way to be prepared is with the blood of Jesus covering you. I got to tell you what, that day is coming. That day is coming, but it's not anything that should terrify us. It's something we should look forward to because of the blood of Jesus Christ and because we are changed. It's not our deeds that are going to save us, but the blood of Jesus Christ but it is that blood that changes us and causes us to live for him. So today, maybe you're being goaded. Today, maybe you're deciding you need to put Jesus Christ back as the creator. I don't care what it is you need today. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to, we'd love to be here with you and help you hear his voice. So let's stand. Let's sing. Thanks for listening to this message. You can keep up with what's happening at Northridge on your mobile device through our Northridge Christian app. If you have any questions about Northridge, you can contact us at info at northridge.online.